Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. So on the 21st of June, Kentemba would have turned 96. And so we're reflecting on who Kentemba is today, on who is or who was. Uh, for me, I think he still is. I think he his powerful work still remains. And I wanted to reflect the, the man and I wanted to reminisce. I wanted to go back and celebrate this icon of an educator, of a playwright, of, of a guy who was just an amazing journalist on, on so many fronts, a person who changed, I think, the face of, of our cultural history as well in this country. He he didn't live long. I mean, he, he, he died quite young, 43. Um, and you just think about, wow, how young he was and the impact that he left behind. Um, so I'm joined um, in this conversation by Dr. Sipuo Mahala, um, who is a scholar of Ken Temba, has done a lot of work, has, has revisited his work many, many times, and uh, himself put up a play. Uh, to honor Ken Temba. So he joins us now on the line. A very good afternoon and thank you so much uh, for joining us, Dr. Mahala. Hi, and listeners, and thanks for having me. So, I mean, gosh, he would have been 96 on the 21st of June and I thought to myself, I, I, I didn't realize he died at 43. That was quite young, hey? Yeah, that was quite young, but uh, um, amazingly, um, it's been over 50 years since he passed. And yet he's always with us. He's through his works, of course. You know, when when look, one looks at the the caliber of people that celebrate him and how he influenced their careers, uh, the likes of Joe Tolo, who says that I I entered the newsroom and he was the guy that made it possible for me to be the kind of journalist that I am. When you speak about Pitikanduli, I mean the list goes on and on. You realize just what impact he had. What was it about him? I mean, you spend a lot of time studying the man. What was it about him that that drew him to such a high caliber of people? You know, I think for a long time we we celebrated Ken Temba for his writing. Um, you know, we romanticized some aspects of his life. Uh, but what has not been acknowledged um, adequately, in my view, is Ken Temba as a teacher. Mm. Um, you've just mentioned, and Dr. for instance, um, who once said uh, Ken Temba was a teacher in the newsroom. Uh, because he mentored so many journalists. Um, you think of the likes of Casey Mutsitsi, uh, who became a legend in his own right. You think of the likes of uh, Stan Mutrupani, um, who was a great journalist uh, in his own right as well. You think of many others. But he was a teacher in the newsroom because he had been a teacher before, um, before becoming a journalist, um, working at, uh, I mean, teaching at, at Madiba. He taught uh, the, the very same people I'm talking about, and among others, you can mention now uh, the, the likes of uh, uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu, mm-hmm. who was his student at um, at Matibani. So Ken Temba, generally, what defines him to me, he, he was someone who was always uh, very passionate about uh, imparting knowledge, be it in the newsroom, be it in a classroom, be it in his own house, the house of truth. You know, I I wondered, actually, having just gone through his journey, and I wondered, because he wanted to be a teacher. It's not as if we're just celebrating him as a teacher, and that was not. I, I get the sense that had he been allowed to continue to be a teacher, he may have not landed in the newsroom. Um, 
Well, uh, the, the, the truth is, um, yes, he, he, he didn't leave fishing uh, to his liking. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a, a number of factors. Uh, one, the fact that he was not um, uh, fully recognized and uh, not be getting paid accordingly as a teacher. Uh, because at the time, even though he had a degree from the University of Fort Hare, he didn't have a, a teacher's diploma. But at the same time, you must remember that this was the period in which uh, uh, Bandu education was introduced. So he was not exactly, he was no longer comfortable with teaching uh, at that point. But in any case, uh, to him, teaching was never limited to the walls of the classroom. As, as, as he, he turned his own house, any space. I mean, he was a, a man of debate. Mm. He believed in intellectual engagement in any any environment that he could find himself in. And so when you went through the works that he had put together, I mean, p- people would know him for the suit, but there was a lot that he, he wrote. He contemplated a lot. He was also uh, reflecting a lot on, on the times, um, you know, what, what was happening in Sophia time at the time. Um, he he was also, you know, he had his own demons because life was tough, right? Absolutely. Well, um, I think he was one of the best chroniclers of, of, of the 50s and 60s. Um, you know, if you look at, at works like uh, Requiem for Sophia Town, for instance, it, it's such a, a deep uh, piece of writing. Um, it's not, I mean, today you are talking about um, uh, land, but the removal, the default removal in Sophia Town, where the land question, he explores it in such a way that you, you, you can even ignore, um, I mean, you, you fall in love with the beauty of the language. Hence, uh, someone like, for instance, Esula Bennett uh, refers to him as the most interesting personality and perhaps the most talented of the writers of the late 50s and 60s. Because he, he, he really, really chronicled that period in a very special way. I mean, I'm I'm intrigued by how um, he. I I think it's funny that I think he, I personally think he was snobbish, but he didn't want snobs in his house. <laughs> <laughs> snobbish he was, um, no doubt about it. Um, but you know, in being snobbish, he was able to to explore and and uh, reveal some of the. Um, you know, the living conditions of people um, uh, in Sofar Town, especially. If you think, for instance, of a story like this, the way it opens, uh, he goes on like, uh, you know, you have this guy waking up and going to the loo outside the house, and there's someone who got there before him. Mm. You know, he says, uh, you know, living in a, in a place where there are like uh, 20 or so other people who use the same lean to. Mm. So without saying... Um, our living conditions are bad. Um, you know, he, he just draws that image uh, for you. And and um, I think this is what makes uh, Ken Temba really special in how he articulated the living conditions of black people at the time. I'm, I'm going to ask Silo Makikangluba to join this conversation. He played uh, Ken Temba in, in one of your, your plays as well. Silo, thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Pamela, and uh, good afternoon, hey. Bona. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking we were we were we were chatting about you, Silo, and we were skinnering a little bit about you because we were talking about um 
you are playing. We've just been speaking about how how Ken Temba was so snobbish, and we couldn't mm-hmm. imagine. And so we we agree with uh, Spew. We couldn't imagine anybody else to play the role of Ken Temba uh, based on just the snobbishness itself. So what are you saying? Are you saying that I'm snobbish? <laughs> you you're very fast. We're very fast. So, <laughs> so I mean, how hard was it to play that role? Because you were living up to a standard of a man who who upheld a language very very. I mean, he took it very seriously. It's not only so much in 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 what he said; it's in how he even said it. He said it. You know, Pimelo, uh, my first contact with um, with Ken Temba for me was I come, I'm coming from an audition and I'm feeling low. And, uh, you know, I'm asking myself, did I make a good decision by going back into acting? <laughs> you know, and then I sort of drifted into, there used to be exclusive books on Pretoria Street in Hillbrow. So I, you know, drifted into the bookshop, browsing through the books, trying to while away time, trying to get myself away from, you know, the horrible thoughts that I was having. <laughs> and then I see the the book, The World of Contemba, picked it up, kind of like read a few pages and sort of like, it feels interesting, you know, and I bought it and I went home. When I reached home, I couldn't put the food, uh, the book down. And the thought that came to me was, here was a man who was depicting my life, a life experience that I can relate to, but with such exquisite English. You know, and uh, for me, that's, I mean, that was my very first impression of Kentemba. You know, and just looking at how, you know, I mean, millions of people are just describing, you know, the, the thing about the film on going to the toilet. But, you know, his use of language was just, uh, I mean, it's mesmerizing. And use of words and use of imagery. I mean, there is one uh, line in, in, in the world of Kentemba where he talks about, um, you know, the whole thing of white people call, calling black um, men boys and all that. Mm-hmm. And he says, there is something in a white man's tone that tends an innocuous word like boy to feel like barbed wire across a bare back mm. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> i mean i mean look at that i mean you listen to that imagery that he has drawn it's just it's just astounding so for me i mean you know it was i think i i had married myself to the i mean to the what do you call it to the book so much that, uh, you know, when Chiwa came with that, I mean, for me, it was almost like a natural mm. progression, I think. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I often think of him as pure as just one of the greatest short story writers of all time, uh, especially, well, I'd say for of my generation of this lifetime. Because the ability to just do what he does, and we'll stick to what people are familiar with, let's say maybe the suit, that story is has bothered so many people and that's exactly what a story is supposed to do right so mm-hmm. you leave and and you you either you leave a mad you leave thinking you know why did he do that and and so many of yourselves yourself and other writers have gone on to to respond to it to add to it to answer to it to to answer another character's questions and so on because it's such a compelling story so many years later 
what drew you to him? I mean, I, I get the fact that you were interested in writers of, of a specific era, but why him specifically, Spew? Well, look, um, Ken Chamber, you know, um, I, I think what I'm about to say is not different from what Rasilo was saying, is that uh, he, he captures the essence of our being in a very special way. Um, but the suit itself, um, uh, which is his, his most famous story. Uh, look, in my view, the suit is the most successful short story by any South African. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any short story that has been reproduced as many times yeah. as, as the suit. Yeah. Uh, that has been adapted successfully in film, mm-hmm. uh, uh, on stage, mm-hmm. uh, as well as a musical, you know. So, um, and that's also I, I, evergreen because it just doesn't date. That story doesn't date. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I think thematically, um, the way he wrote, Ken Temper did not write for the present moment. Mm. He wrote for a lifetime. And um, the suit which was uh, published, uh, first published in 1953, that is why it's still with us today. That is why every time it goes on stage, uh, it, it, it fills up the... The, the room, you know, uh, the last time it was performed on stage at the Market Theatre, it was sold out, you know, uh, so that, that is the appeal of the suit. So it is that special kind of uh, writing that um, does not focus on the, on the present moment, but, you know, is all about the, the ability, the, the, the skill of writing. I think it's best demonstrated here. Mm. So, Lo, playing him, I mean, I... Yeah. You know, you speak of how how he resonated, his life experience resonated with with your own personal life experience. But playing him is is something else because you you then have to expose yourself to this character for us to observe. And it's a big story because it's been uh, demonstrated by so many people. It's been put on stage by so many people before. What was mm-hmm. that like? Look, I think also for me, you know, uh, was I think the way people captured, you know, his life in, you know, in the, I mean, you know, like his whole life. Ah, oh, man, I remember, you know, I wonder if you would remember the very first reading that we had at the Toulouse place, you know. Mm-hmm. And and the way I mean, Spio had written it, I was just drawn, you know. And my cue, I'm the only one who's reading. Everybody's just listening and just following, <laughs> you know, their text <laughs> because it's so, <laughs> you know. But I tell you, I just got drawn into into the way Spio had depicted, you know, his whole life, and I mean the letters that you know he was getting, you know, as he was trying to be a teacher, mm. his thoughts. Mm-hmm. And um has did an amazing work on it, man. Uh, and also, I mean, I've always spoken about um, Walter Albert uh, being an actor's jam. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think because of it, you know, like the way it engages the physicalness, uh, the physicality of performance and uh, and all that. And I think also because it's brilliantly written. Mm. But um, The House of Truth, Basically, for any actor who wants to explore the emotional turbulence of a man's life, the play just captures it well.
And Spio did a good job on it. May I confess something? Yes, go ahead. Um, when I wrote the play um, and I sent it to Priscilla, mm-hmm. um, I had no intentions of having him playing because I thought um, he is too big for the role. I mean, to take a... Wow. To, to act in, 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 a, in a play written by a novice like myself. Jeez. And, um, you know, when he came to my house for, for us to discuss it, um, I remember that day that there was a, a blackout in Pretoria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I couldn't see his face, but I could hear the passion that this man is sitting as he wants to play this role. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so that's when I realized that we were, we're up to something here. Mm. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I, I saw the play, and I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It really is. And it doesn't come across as, as somebody who's a novice in, in, in playwriting. Um, I'm curious, Pure, you, the, the name of the play is after the house itself and how people refer to his house. Yeah. Is, is it still there or was it flattened? Uh, what is still there? The house itself. No, no, no. Um, it, it, it was demolished, uh, it was demolished. Uh, with the destruction of Sophia Town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he writes a bit about it mm. uh, in a requiem for Sophia Town. It's, it's. I mean, it's heartbreaking to to talk about him, and and I mean, we we chuckling here a little bit here and there, but his life didn't end very well. Um, what a sad ending to to a giant of a man, and and they, they you know they speak of how lonely he was, and uh, there is there is talk about the fact that it it was due to uh, the use of alcohol and and on all of that. I'm just imagining what what it must have been like. He had left everybody behind. He was in Swaziland, um, and he and he died a lonely man. Yeah, look, um, you know. There are many factors that, that contributed to, to Ken Kemba's passing. Uh, but one thing for sure, uh, he died of a, of a broken heart. Mm. Um, you think of a, a writer, someone who, who lives for writing. Um, writing was the world to him. And um, he was banned as a special communist. So mm. He could not pu- get published Publish, in yeah. South Africa. So getting deprived of... Of, 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 of what you do is, is, is basically the first way of killing you, even though you're alive. I mean, and, uh, I beg your pardon, Spio. I was going to ask if, if you think that is part of the reason why so much of his work is unnoticed and is not there, because, I mean, the man was not published. You couldn't even accredit his work. It was just, it was just written out of the history books for a long time. Yeah, look, he, he was then, uh, you know, Several years after his, his passing, um, so he, his work uh, got uh, was made available from 1978, sorry, 1972, and then only in the 80s was it available in South Africa. And um, even uh, at the time of his passing, some of his um, uh, manuscripts were lost. Uh, in fact, what became the Will to Die, for instance, is a number of stories that were were collected uh, posthumously and. and and, and published. So um, a lot of his work um, was unknown, and also in my thesis, I do point out, for instance, because he was banned, uh, there, there's some work that he wrote uh, under a pseudonym. So, you know, those kinds of works are not known that they are actually his. Hmm. So, yeah, um, he is. Uh, 
Do we, it was generally, I mean, dying in exile um, was, or living in exile at the time was not the easiest of things. Did, did, he, did he use the same pseudonym all the time when he wrote? Well, I, I know at least three different names that he used. Okay. Um, but there could be others. Hmm. And, and what are they, I mean, are they, are they books that are currently available? Or writings no, that are currently uh, available now? Well, I, I managed to pick up the first time some uh, some of his stories, poems, and uh, and uh, journalistic articles mm. uh, in the archives. Mm. Uh, but there is no complete book. Mm. Uh, his family believed that uh, some of his work was actually lost mm. uh, when he passed, because when he passed, he was alone in Manzini. Uh, his uh, his uh, family was in in uh, in uh, Mbabane, in Switzerland. Swimahala is my guest, as well as Silomaka Gangube, and we're discussing uh, a giant of, of, of a man, Ken Temba, who would have been 96 on the 21st of June as we celebrate his life, the works that he, he left us with, and just the impact he's had on, on culture. And uh, at that era in the 50s, um, he left, he really left a big mark. He writes a lot about Sophia Town. He was a drum uh, journalist and so on. But mostly, I think what people also refer to him as, as an educator. So we'll continue that conversation after the headlines. This is uh, 2.30. Let's go to Uti Lesaku for the latest in headlines. You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. in a world of violence. And violence has become such an important part that people judge us according to our racial characteristics because it's easy to distinguish one color from another. Because people think they can get away by playing one color against another. They show that if I could get that much color off you, I could liberate you that much. We must find a way of televising Ken Temba in such a way that he becomes a celebrity, like a football player, becomes as available uh, as part of popular culture without losing his seriousness. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be the actor that I am now. Kentemba, when we describe him in Jeremiah, he was a connoisseur of the language. If a story comes to me, at the peak of night, he jump out of bed and I'll just be woken up by the typewriter. And then when he comes back to, uh, to bed, then I say, why did you do this? Supposing we're visitors, what are they going to think of us? Then he says, if I wait until tomorrow, that thought would be clean and gone. So I've got to grab it now. There's always this thing about uh, you know, Ken Tembra. Uh, his interest was in the psychology of human beings, what actually people think. When you look at uh, a story, short story, like uh, the, the, the suit, and then you think of uh, writers like uh, Franz uh, you know, Kafka, or Dostoevsky, who are kind of very psychological uh, you know, writers who just penetrate uh, the subconscious in, in the mind. That's kind of a sadism uh, that, that is in it, that sense of uh, uh, you know, revenge, uh, but rendered in a very brief and a very poetic uh, way. That's what for me makes uh, in the suit to be such a, a kind of a classic. You, you, you spent a decade hearing about only his drinking. 
But then you hear about intellectuals who have learned so much from my father, who have grown because of what he has taught them. That's my lasting memory of Ken Temba, somebody who could teach yeah. and somebody who could nurture a young talent. To retrieving Ken Temba's genius, as it were, and making it available to contemporary audiences. I think that to me is very, very important. We are discussing Kentemba. We're celebrating 96 years. He would have been 96 this year. He um, passed away in 1968. He would have been 96 on the 21st of June. And so we're just reflecting on the man that he was, his impact, and uh, just uh, the gift that he's left us of literature, of writings that are still, many of them are still not, you know, not accredited to him, as we discussed before the headlines. But my guest this afternoon is Pua Mahala and uh, Silo Makagangnube, who played uh, Kentemba on a play that um, Spewer penned, uh, The House of Truth. And we just are reflecting on, on his impact. Kundile is calling us from Mangawung. Good afternoon. Thanks for calling. Uh, thanks, Sister uh, and, and uh, two gentlemen there. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, the, the good thing about this conversation is that you guys are... Uh, immortalizing or, 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 or recording the history of uh, one of the giants of literature. You remember that most of the African uh, literature, particularly South African literature, doesn't come forth. And uh, yes, I, I personally have uh, looked at the entire African literature, but you get few of uh, the work of uh, South African literature uh, 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 gurus who played their role during their era. And I think by so doing, you are actually, one, mortalizing the, the, the work of um, uh, Ken, but also you are inculcating the, 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 the type of education that would want amongst our... I took, for example, my youngest uh, daughter to the <coughs> market theater when uh, uh, V was, 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 was playing that part, just to introduce them to this literature. Because for me, uh, as you would normally say, that you can only learn from history so that you don't commit mistakes mm-hmm. moving forward. And uh, this is what you guys are doing. I must say that you, you're doing a splendid job. As for, is it Sipiwe? Sipiwe, yes. Uh, I think it's time uh, that he actually advances his research into the work of Braken as to whether he used a pseudonym in Eswatini and uh, collect more of his work so that that work can be put somewhere so that when... Uh, a generation behind us comes. They're able to see that. And uh, the good thing about these levels is that maybe we'll, when we go back to level two, we'll be able to see Z back to Market Theatre doing the same thing that he did because he really portrayed, he really painted a picture of a mm. uh, uh, Braken when, mm. when, when, I mean, obviously, Z is one of the best uh, mm. uh, uh, when it comes to his space. Uh, particularly, I, I, I like... Uh, in, in theater more than in the screen. Mm. You know, even when he talks, it's like he's, 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 he's looking at the audience <laughs> than in the camera. <laughs> so I want to say this is good work, and uh, you you reminded me that I must go back to my to my library, mm. check your 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 uh, Kentemba, Net Nakaza. I know mm. that Professor Pachel, mm. Professor Eskian Pachel, used to criticize his work as I go through some of the work that they, they actually recorded. Mm-hmm. So it would be good to, to really see that literature flying 
out there and the people are able to again review yeah. the same literature. Thanks, Janelle. Thank you. Thanks, Gondili. <laughs> Spio, nobody else would do it but you, hey? Wow, but the interesting thing, the clip that you played, yes. um, is from a, a, a well uh, a documentary that I am still working on, yes. but um, it includes interviews that I did with a number of people, um, studying with uh, uh, Professor Mushengondo, who also benefited from uh, Ken Temple's teaching. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I was really fortunate to to record the likes of uh, Nadine Godima, um, uh, uh, John Natera, um, the late Ahmed Katrada, and many other people who who had uh, interactions with Ken Temba. Mm. Um, so I, I have, you know, I have over 20 hours worth of footage. Wow. Um, I'm struggling to, to put that together to complete the document at the moment. Oh, no, that can be done. I'm sure that's... Spoo, let me ask you this. Um, with what you're working on, maybe you can answer the question. Um, I, I believe Pitikanduli is the one that went to see Ken Temba, Eswatini, knocked at the door, looked through the, I think it was a keyhole or whatever it was, saw the feet, knocked, he wasn't responding, left, came back the following day, only to find that he he had actually passed on. What impact did it have on him? Well, uh, to him, because Ken Temba was uh, more of a mentor, um, almost a a parent in Mm. a sense, because he, he had interactions with Ken Temba while he was still uh, in, um, in in Sofia Town because uh, at the time Professor Bidigandu uh, was from Red Bank. Mm. So when he visited um, uh, Sofia Town, he would visit the House of Truth. He was much younger, but to him, sitting uh, and listening to these people debating mm. was truly inspirational to such an extent that when he grew up and went to exile, he opened his own house of truth where he, he used to debate with, with his peers. And he actually invited Ken Temba over when Ken Temba uh, went to exile. He invited Ken Temba. Ken Temba went to his house um, to actually speak with the younger generation, having that kind of a debate. So it, it was uh, truly a great loss uh, to, to someone like him who, who saw Ken Temba as a mentor. What would you would have wanted to ask him um you know yourself, Spio, because you you've been studying his work a lot. You've you've had a keen interest on him. What is it? The que- what question would you have wanted to ask him? Oh wow! <laughs> well, we will meet a, a, a long time. I, I think, um, yeah, it will be a very long conversation. Mm-hmm. But um, my interest really is uh, what really drove him to to give so much of him um, and. Uh, you know, he, he was he was too generous with with his uh, uh, time and energy. Um, he, as, as I said, he was someone who taught anywhere you found him. Uh, he wanted to, uh, he, he he taught in the classroom. He taught in the newsroom. Uh, he taught in, in his house of truth. So really, I'm not so much of a question per se, but really to appreciate the way he replicated himself. Because today, if you look around, some of the greatest thinkers in this country across the spectrum come from, from the, the hands of Ken Temba, whether they were influenced by him 
by interacting with him in the house of truth or in the classroom, in the newsroom, or even through reading his works. Can I ask you, because I'm curious about this, one of the things that I, I get from him is his insistence on us seeing ourselves as as great as we are, right? I'm, I'm curious, in a system that he lived in and, and the oppression that he lived under, where that conviction came from, especially with his experiences, because he kept reiterating that, but, but we're great people, but, but we're intelligent, but we are worthy. All of those things, for me, stand out. And I'm curious where he got that conviction from. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, if, if, if you, you check uh, someone like uh, Anthony Samson, who, who, who came from... Uh, uh, the editor of John at the time, who who came from from uh, Oxford, and uh, you know he and Ken Temba came from Fort Hare. Yes. And uh, these guys respect Ken Temba. Um, they were they were on par with each other. I I think the fact that he he went to Fort Hare, majored in English and classical distinction. Mm-hmm. To him, he said there are no limits. Mm-hmm. As a result, you know, um, I was reading uh, on a exchange he had with uh, Tom Hopkinson, for mm. instance, who, who was uh, who ultimately fired him from drama. Yes. Uh, he asked him, uh, and actually this comes from Tom Hopkinson's book, when he says, uh, when the shooting starts, when the shooting war starts, which side will you be on them, black or white, because one day the whites will start it for sure. Mm. Now, you have a Ken Temper, who's the second in command in newspaper, because he was the associate editor of the of of Trump. and Tom Hopkinson was, was the editor, and he was able to to confront him about very sensitive issues. So Ken Temba had no limitations in terms of uh, his, his engagement, and I think uh, that that is the confidence he had uh, from knowing that he he can conquer anything. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, I really will appreciate the time you've given us. Thank you both for coming on to the show, celebrating this giant that is Ken Temba's Dr. Spio Mahala, as well as actor Silo Magagangube. Thank you very much. And that conversation will be available as a podcast.